We're in Nehemiah 8. We got a lot to cover, so I have no introduction today. We're just going to jump right into it. Nehemiah chapter 8, in many ways, is all about the Word of God and its place in the reformation of God's people. We noted last week in chapter 7 that the book shifts from chapters 1 to 6, the rebuilding of the walls. The book shifted now to the reformation of the people. And we'll see in chapter 8 that the Word of God was at the center of this reformation. I want to say four things about this ministry of the word today. Begin just by reading a few verses here. Verse 1, And all the people gathered as one man at the square, which is in front of the water gate. And they asked Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had given to Israel. Stop there and just want to make note of, number one, the prized possession, which is the Word of God. You notice it there at the end of verse 2. Bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had given to Israel. The book of the law, most likely to have in mind here, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. They wanted Ezra the scribe to bring it. And the author of the book makes note. He doesn't just say, ask Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses. But he adds, which the Lord had given to Israel. The Bible is a gift from God. When we think about the Bible, there are a number of different doctrines associated with it, but here's just a few. Number one, the doctrine of revelation. Not the book of revelation, but the doctrine of revelation. The idea being that unless God reveals himself, his ways, and his will, you and I cannot know him nor them. If God does not choose to reveal himself and his ways and his will, then you and I are in the dark. But praise be to our gracious God that he has revealed himself. Generally in creation, the heavens declare the glory of God. Paul says in Romans chapter 1 that through the things which God has created, his eternal power and divine nature are clearly seen, being understood through what has been made. General revelation, but then specific revelation in his word. God reveals truth. Deuteronomy 29, 29. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us and to our sons forever. He reveals his word and then he assures its accurate recording through a doctrine we call inspiration from 2 Timothy 3.16. All scripture is inspired by God or maybe a better translation. All scripture is God breathed. Theonoustos is the Greek word. Theo, God, noustos, breath. It's as if God breathed out the words of scripture himself. What we mean by that is that God, through his Holy Spirit, 
working in and through the lives of the human authors of Scripture, led them to produce exactly what God wanted written. All Scripture is God-breathed. And thus, it is inerrant. If the Bible comes from God, and he inspires its writings, working through the human authors of the Bible so that they write exactly what he wants written. And if our God is true and never lies, which he does not, it simply follows that every word of Scripture is true. We have a sure testimony to our God, his ways, and his will for his people. And it is authoritative. When the Bible speaks, God speaks. It is the final rule for God's people when it comes to what you and I are to believe and how we are to live. What a gift is the Bible. It's the prized possession of the people of God. I want us to notice also the priority of the word in the reformation of God's people. The walls are rebuilt. We saw that at the end of chapter 6. And the rebuilding within the walls and the repopulation of the city is beginning. But we need more than just walls and we need more than homes rebuilt. We even need more than simply people to live within the city. We need a reformation of the lives of God's people continually. And so after the walls are rebuilt, and it's time now to begin this new part of the work, Nehemiah calls upon Ezra the scribe. We see down in there in verse 9, then Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra the priest and the scribe and all the Levites who taught the people, I think that Nehemiah was here from the very beginning. I would like to think it was Nehemiah who called upon Ezra and put all of this together. Nehemiah is a godly spiritual man. We've seen him with incredible leadership, administration, executive types of gifts to rebuild the walls. And now when it comes to reforming the people around God's will, he calls upon Ezra to come and bring the book of the law of God to reform the lives of God's people around his word. Ezra will come and the people will gather and Ezra will proclaim the word of the Lord and it will be explained to the people and we will see their response in just a bit. But it reminds me of Acts chapter 6 in the New Testament. Whenever the church is off and running, having to press through some hardships, and then in chapter 6, one of the schemes of the enemy is to try to distract the leaders, the apostles, from the ministry of the word of God and prayer. And so there's some needs that need to be met, and what are we going to do about it? And thankfully, the apostles, the leaders of the church said, hey, 
that's a legitimate need and we need to get that met. Let's raise up some who will do that. And then they said, but it's not desirable for us to neglect the word of God. We will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. The apostles seem to know and to believe that these needs are important to meet in the lives of our church. But what God has called us to is to put the word of God and prayer at the center of what we do. And I think, at least I love it, here in verse 1 of Nehemiah 8, all the people gathered together as one man at the square, which is in front of the water gate. And they asked Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law. We're going to see their incredible reverence for God's word here in a bit. But they, they ask him to do it. I'm not exactly sure how Nehemiah's leadership and they're asking him, Ezra, to come kind of, kind of come together. But they, they probably compliment one another. But then in Acts 6, whenever the apostles say, hey, listen. We, we, we need, we're going to get these needs met through another way. We're going to give ourselves to the word of God in prayer. The text says that statement found approval with the whole congregation. That's pretty cool. The church said, yes, we want you all committed to prayer and to the word of God. The ministry of the word is essential to the reformation of God's people here in the Old Testament, and it is essential in the life of the church in the new. We'll see it later, but Paul says to Timothy, all scripture is inspired by God, and it's profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, training in righteousness. Preach the word. We have a number of values here at Redeemer. We like to say these things are not what we do, but hopefully color all that we do one of them is the glory of God and like I say in our Redeemer 101 class I hope that it doesn't take you long at all during your time here at Redeemer to go that's a group of people who love the glory of God they love to worship God they want to put God at the front of everything they do secondly we say the gospel of God I hope it doesn't take you but about 10 seconds here at Redeemer to know these folks believe and love and preach the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The third one is God's word. We hope just in the first 10 seconds you're here, if you will, to know that we believe that this is the word of God. It is true and it's his authoritative word for us. And that's why Every Sunday, open your Bible to. And in the Sunday school classes, open your Bible to Matthew. Open your Bible to Psalms. That's why at the women's Bible, open your Bible to Daniel. Friday, open your Bible to Romans. We want this to be. God's word to us, we want it to be central in the life of our church because here it is where God has revealed himself. Here it is where we learn of him. Here it is where his will is given to us. And so we want it to have a 
place of priority among us. So we've seen the prized possession of the word. We've seen the priority of the word. How about the preacher? Or the person of the word? In verse 1, they asked Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law. We hadn't seen Ezra in the book of Ezra, or in Nehemiah, but remember Ezra and Nehemiah were one, but it's been quite some time since Ezra's been on the scene. But, but go back, one book in front of Nehemiah is Ezra, and go to Ezra chapter 7. In Ezra 1 through 6, a fellow named Zerubbabel had led 50,000 people back into the land to rebuild the temple. And then some years later, God raises up Ezra the scribe to return to the land as well to rebuild the people. And just look what it says about him in Ezra chapter 7, verse 10. Well, let's start in verse 8. He came to Jerusalem in the fifth month, which was in the seventh year of the king. For on the first of the first month, he began to go up from Babylon. And on the first of the fifth month, he came to Jerusalem because the good hand of his God was upon him. For Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord, to practice it, and to teach his statutes and ordinances in Israel. That's the man that Nehemiah says, I want you to lead the people and reform them according to the word of God. That's the man that the people say, we want to hear, Ezra, what the word of God says. Here's a man who set his heart to study it, to practice it, and to teach it to the people of God. He is a model in measure for all of us. And I say in measure for this reason. Certainly, he is a model for those who are gifted by God and charged by God to teach and preach his word. Some of you have the gift of service. Some of you have the gift of administration. Some of you have the gift of mercy. Some of you have the gift of giving. Some of you have the gift of faith. Some of us have the gift of teaching. And to those of us who have the gift of teaching, to whom God has charged to teach and preach the word of God, here's a model for us. Keep your finger, you can go back to Nehemiah 8, keep your finger there and turn all the way over to the New Testament in 2 Timothy. of you know I love 2 Timothy. It's my favorite of all of Paul's letters. Paul is in prison for the final time. He is, we believe, in a dungeon of sorts, just a hole in the ground where he can receive supplies and people can sit and visit with him. Death is just around the corner. He knows it. And so he is writing to his young disciple in the faith, Timothy, calling him up, calling him out, encouraging him to come to Rome just as quickly as he can, but in the midst of that desire for him to come, 
He is also calling him to great things like courage and faithfulness and perseverance and expectation. But look at a handful of things. In chapter 1, verse 13 and 14, Timothy, as I'm about to die and it's your turn, retain the standard of sound words which you've heard from me in the faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. Guard through the Holy Spirit who dwells in us the treasure which has been entrusted to you. Literally, the good deposit. In many translations, leave it, the good deposit. But at least the translators for the New American Standard pondered a little bit and thought, How do you, what's the best way to, treasure, to, to translate that? Guard through the Holy Spirit the treasure or I'm sorry, the good deposit. They translate treasure. The good news of the gospel and the growing New Testament truth around it had been entrusted to Timothy and he was to guard it and Paul regarded it as good. A treasure. We might say that Paul is calling upon Timothy you and me, to love the Word of God. Just like Ezra set his heart, he seemingly loved it. Here, Timothy is to love the Word of God. Look at chapter 2, verse 15. Timothy, be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the Word truth. Timothy, just I don't want you to just regard the Bible as a treasure. I want you to diligently study it so that you can accurately handle it. One guy said, we, we need to get it straight so we can then give it straight. So teachers of God's word, preachers of God's word are to be diligent. I only share this Greek word because it just sounds so kind of funny. Spudazo. Be diligent. Work hard. I think it was, oh, shoot, this one just popped into my mind. Who was the old guy on the radio? Walk through the Bible, not walk through the Bible, uh, from Cleburne, Texas, J. Vernon McGee. J. Vernon McGee, I think it was in his commentary, he translates this, he says, what this means is sweat at it. Be diligent, work hard, sweat at it. And so just like Ezra of old set his heart, he loved to study, so Timothy, so you and I, especially those of us called by God into this ministry are to love the word and study the word. You know, it's not exclusively, but I read books that are different than the books you read. You know, I read commentaries. Anybody read commentaries on the book of Nehemiah, the book of Romans? I read biblical theology, theology books. I read Old Testament and New Testament introduction books. You ever read those? 
Who wrote this book? Where did they write it from? What was the date they wrote it? Why? I love that stuff. I love to study the scriptures and I love to try to understand them for myself and then try to make it clear for you. And it's funny, it's not just preachers, but you know, I'll walk into a house here and there and even those of you who may have the gift of teaching, your library is different than everybody else's library. You just got different books on the shelf because you love to study the Word of God. Look at chapter 3, verse 14. In, 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 three, in the early part of 3, things are not going to get any easier for Timothy. It's going to get worse and worse and worse. Paul urges him, verse 10, Now you followed my teaching, conduct, purpose, faith, patience, love, perseverance, persecutions, and suffering, such as happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, what persecutions I endured, and out of them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, Timothy. You're hoping it's going to get easier. It's not. It's going to get harder. You remember, I, I suffered greatly, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus are going to suffer Evil men and impostors will proceed from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. So what is Timothy to do? Verse 14, you, however, continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of. Continue in these things. What are these things? It's the scripture of the Old Testament and the gospel as it's being fulfilled in Jesus Christ and the New Testament ethic that will eventually become the New Testament. These things that, that Timothy had learned as a child from his grandmother and his mother and these things that he had now learned about the gospel through Paul, he's to continue in them. Everything else can be falling apart, Timothy, but you stay at them. Maybe not pushing it too far, we could say, Timothy, practice it. Keep practicing the truth. Love the truth, study the truth, and keep practicing the truth. And then finally, chapter 4, verse 2. Verse 1, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. So like Ezra of old, who set his heart to study the law of the Lord, to practice it and to teach it. Is not Paul calling upon Timothy? Maybe us in appropriate measure to love the treasure, which is the word of God, to work hard that we might accurately divide it to continue in it, putting it into practice in our lives, and then to teach it. Well, there's the preacher of the word, and real fast, number four, the people of the word. We've looked at the prized possession of the word, the priority of the word, the preacher of the word, the proclaimer of the word, Ezra, the scribe. How about the people? Of the word. Now I'm going to read a lot here and then make my point. 
Verse 2. Then Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly of the men, women, and all who could listen with understanding. I don't have time for this, but y'all got to hear this. So all who could listen with understanding, that's probably older kids, right? So the men could come, the women could come, and, and the older kids. My wife and I, along with the Damels and the Rimlingers, teach fourth and fifth graders on Wednesday night up here from 6.30 to 8. Y'all want to hear some of the questions they asked us just this past Wednesday? Does Jesus know when he'll come back? Do people get a second chance? Did the first earth go away after it was flooded? Where was Jesus before this Jesus? What did Jesus look like? What about Melchizedek? If God is one entity in each of the body parts of his psyche, does that one essence have different personalities? I'm glad Tara was over there, you know, recording all these questions. Hedge of protection. What is that? When we die, do we become angels? Does he ever get sick of everyone praising him? If we go to heaven, will we still know our families? <laughs> this was my daughter. When we go to heaven, will your scars still be there? Will the new order, will the new world be in heaven or will he bring it down to the earth? Won't that take a lot of work for him? What if God comes back and we've already colonized other planets? <laughs> what if we're in heaven, but someone you know didn't trust God and was in hell? If that happened, what would you do? Anybody want to volunteer on fourth and on Wednesday nights <laughs> with the fourth and fifth graders? They are sharp. Ezra. Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly of men, women, and all who could listen with understanding on the first day of the seventh month. He read it, he read from it before the square, which is in front of the water gate, from early morning until midday. In the presence of men and women, those who could understand. And all the people were attentive to the book of the law. Ezra the scribe stood at a wooden podium. Probably it's a wooden platform, almost like this. Which they had made for the purpose. And beside him stood, so he's got these fellows on his right hand and these fellows on his left hand. These are probably Levites along with Ezra. Verse 5, Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was standing above all the people. And when he opened it, all the people stood up. Then Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered him, Amen, Amen, while lifting up their hands, and they bowed low and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Also, these fellows here explained the law to the people while the people remained in their place. They read from the book, from the law of God, translating to give the sense so that they understood the reading. There's differences of opinion on what that means, but... I think it probably means Ezra is reading the law, he's explaining some things, and then these fellas head out into the crowd to, to explain it further and bring it to bear, maybe even asking or answering questions that people have. 
Then Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra the priest and scribe and the Levites who taught the people, said to all the people, this day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. So in addition to there being attentive, standing up, crying amen, amen, lifting up their hands, bowing down to the Lord, they are also mourning and weeping. For all the people were weeping when they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, Go, eat of the fat, drink of the sweet, and send portions to him who has nothing prepared. For this day is holy to our Lord. Do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be still, for the day is holy. Do not be grieved. All the people went away to eat, to drink, to send portions, and to celebrate a great festival, because they understood the words which had been made known to them. Then on the second day, the heads of the father's households of all the people, the priests and the Levites, were gathered to Ezra the scribe that they might gain insight into the words of the law. They found written in the law how the Lord had commanded through Moses that the sons of Israel should live in booths during the feast of the seventh month. Remember, it is the, first, it is the seventh month. Yesterday's reading was on the first day of the month, which was the day of trumpets, the Feast of Trumpets. And a little bit later in the month, it's going to be the Day of Atonement and then the Feast of Tabernacles. So they found written in the law how the Lord had commanded through Moses that the sons of Israel should live in booths. This is the Feast of Tabernacles during the Feast of the seventh month. So they proclaimed and circulated a proclamation in all their cities in Jerusalem saying, go out to the hills, bring olive branches, wild olive branches, myrtle branches, palm branches, branches of other leafy trees, to make booths as it is written. So the people went out and brought them, made booths for themselves, each on his roof and in their courts and in the courts of the house of God in the square at the water gate and the square at the gate of Ephraim. The entire assembly of those who had returned from the captivity made booths and lived in them. The sons of Israel had indeed not done so from the days of Joshua, the son of Nun, to that day, and there was great rejoicing. He read from the book of the law of God daily from the first day to the last day, probably of this feast. They celebrated the feast seven days, and on the eighth day there was a solemn assembly according to the ordinance. Just a few minutes to go. What do we see from them? A reverent attitude toward the word of God. Isn't that how you would sum it up? They were attentive to the book of the law. When Ezra opened it up, they all stood up to hear it. When Ezra blessed God, they, amen, amen. While lifting up their hands, they bowed low and worshiped the Lord their God with their faces to the ground. They wept at the hearing of God's word. I think reverent attitude is pretty good. And an obedient posture, just to sum up verse 13 and following. They found written, and so they did it. Verse 14, they found written at the end of verse 15, as it is written. So what about us? What is your attitude and mine towards the word of God? I'm not going to command any because I don't think the scripture does any outward expressions like we see here. Because I don't believe the word commands us to stand whenever the Bible is read. It doesn't command you to cry out, amen, amen, when I or Mark or anyone praises God. It does not 
command that you and I lift up our hands. It doesn't command that we fall on our faces and weep whenever the Bible is being read or explained. But it sure does seem to communicate their reverent attitude towards the word of God. And it makes me wonder about mine and maybe yours. And how about their obedient posture? They found it written and so they did it. What do you and I find written as we read the scriptures for ourselves, as the word of God is preached from this pulpit in those Sunday school classes in your community group, when we find that the word of God is written and it is calling us to be and do something, are we quick to seek to obey? More to say, but I just want to read a few verses from James chapter 1. This you know, my beloved brethren, but everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger, for the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness in humility, Receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. But prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. If anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For once he's looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. The image seems to be of a man looking in the mirror, seeing everything wrong. Hair messed up. Hair flying out of his ears. You know, maybe a smudge on his face. Whatever it might be, seeing it and then walking away and doing nothing to fix his hair and clean up his face. Anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer. He's like a man who looks at his natural face in the mirror. Once he's looked at himself and gone away, he's immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. But one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man will be blessed in what he does. As they saw it written and obey the Lord, Verse 17, there was great rejoicing. Blessing comes as we hear and obey the word of God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the prized possession of the Bible. Please help us evermore to, to keep your word center of all that we do at Redeemer. Tethering all that we do to the pages of Scripture. Lord, I pray for myself, for Antonio, for Matt, for Mark, for those who 
teach in our little kids and our student Sunday school classes, for those who lead our community groups, even for all of us who minister the word of God, maybe in one-on-one discipleship or the like. May we ever love the word of God and study it and practice it to teach it. And then, Lord, give us a reverent attitude and an obedient posture to your word. We bless you that not only through your son, Jesus Christ, have you forgiven us of all of our sins, but through faith in him, you have also given us your spirit who empowers us and helps us in putting your word to practice in our lives. And so, Lord, give us a heart like this to find it written and then by the power of your spirit to put it to work in our lives. And we will pray this for the honor and glory of Jesus Christ and for the blessedness and the joy of our souls. In Christ's name, amen.